Hello everyone and welcome to the AstroPage Daily Review podcast by Mikhail Lisakov, episode 14. Today is still 2020, November 12th, and today I'm going to talk about a paper by Mikhail Brotherton with the co-authors entitled Monitoring Agents with H-Beta Asymmetry, part 2. And let's start with the abstract. We report the results of reverberation mapping three bright cipher galaxies, Macaron 79, NGC 3227, and Markaran 841 from a campaign conducted from December 2016 to May 2017 with the Wyoming Infrared Observatory 2.3 meter telescope. All three of these targets have shown asymmetric broad H-beta emission lines in the past, although their emission lines were relatively symmetric during our observations. We measured H-beta time lags for all three targets and estimated masses of their black holes for the first time in the case of Macaron 841. For Macaron 79 and NGC 3227, the data are of sufficient quality to resolve distinct time lags at a, as a function of velocity and to compute two-dimensional velocity delay maps. Macaron 79 shows smaller time lags for high-velocity gas, but the distribution is not symmetric and its complex velocity delay map could result from the combination of both inflowing and outflowing H-beta emitting disks that may be part of a single larger structure. NGC 3227 shows the largest time lags for blue-shifted gas and the two-dimensional velocity delay map suggests a disk with some inflow. We compare our results with previous work and find evidence for different time lags despite similar luminosities as well as evolving broadline region structures. So, this reverberation mapping technique uh, is basically used for measuring a time lag between the variable continuum and the response of uh, H-beta emission lines uh, from the broadline region. With these time lags measured, one can estimate the size of uh, the broadline region and also, uh, with some reasonable assumptions, estimate a, a mass of the central supermassive black hole. As far as I understand, this reverberation mapping technique de delivers many of the current estimates of the supermassive black hole masses. With high uh, frequency resolution spectroscopic observations, one can not only detect a single time lag between the continuum and the H-beta line, but also detect the time lag between uh, different portions of this line. It means one can measure these time lags for, for the gas with different velocities. So basically all these analyses employs cross-correlation of light curves of the continuum emission and the H-beta line emission. The authors have found non-zero lags uh, for all three sources and definitely the values of these lags are okay. But I'm a bit concerned about the errors uh, that the authors provide for these time lags. Because in some cases, these uh, errors are even smaller than the cadence of their actual observations. From the first glance on the cross-correlation function plots uh, versus time lag, it is apparent that uh, the peaks of these uh, cross-correlation functions are broad for all three sources. And um, there are no significance levels presented on these plots, but... I suspect that the errors on the derived time lag should be uh, much larger than they are at the moment. These uh, errors then propagate into the mass of the supermassive black hole. 
So I believe the resultant uncertainty of the mass of the supermassive black holes derived in this paper should be uh, actually larger than it is presented. An interesting technique uh, which is new to me is to slice the H-beta line along the velocity axis and then estimate the time lag between continuum and emission line for the gas with different velocities separately. As a result, one gets a nice map of the time lag versus velocity for the whole gas velocity range uh, in this H-beta line, which is approximately plus minus 3000 kilometers per second for all three sources. And most importantly, if one has a model of the distribution of the gas in the broadline region with uh, its position and velocities, one can plot this model in the, in the same coordinates of uh, the time lag versus velocity and compare it to the actual data. That's what the authors did for Macaron 79. And I must admit that the model looks pretty similar to what was observed. At least the smaller disk with inflowing velocities towards the black hole looks bulletproof. However, as far as I understood, this analysis uh, leaves uh, quite a room for interpretation and different models can adequately describe mass and velocity distribution in the broadline region. What was unexpected to me, and it appears uh, throughout the paper many times, is that the dominant velocity in the broadline region can change like from inflowing to outflowing in the course of several, just several years. And if I have understood the authors correctly, we have a coherent um, opinion on that. It is unlikely that the actual velocity and kinetic energy changes in this region so rapidly, but rather the structure of broadline region in different sources could be very complex, and in different times different components with different velocities could be illuminated and could dominate in the spectrum. So the bottom line uh, of this paper is that broadline regions are complex, but Nowadays, there are methods to recover the velocity and mass distribution structure of these broadline regions, and the only thing we need to do is to observe them frequently. I think the authors have underestimated the errors on time lags and hence uh, on the black hole masses, but I definitely recommend reading this paper. It is very comprehensive and uh, is written very clearly. So, thank you for listening and see you tomorrow.